All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Brett Henderson here. Excited to have another amazing episode of the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass podcast and now YouTube channel. Today's guest is the esteemed, astute, astout, whatever that word's supposed to be, Kevin Bevel. How are you, Rabs? I'm, I'm doing well. I've, I've never been called esteemed before. Right. Esteemed before, but not esteemed. So. Well, we, I like to I like to add a couple uh, consonants and vowels, like to coin phrases as we go along. So that's a challenge of being a verbal thinker. I make stuff up and sounds good. So I appreciate you being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here. So I wanted to say thank you before we start getting into you. You actually had me on your podcast about three, four weeks ago. So that was a entertaining conversation and educational nature. So I want to thank you for that and your time. Absolutely. And actually, I'm going to give you the first plug. Just your pod, you've got three podcasts. So I'm going to let you yeah. plug yeah. them right now and then we'll plug okay. them at the end again. I'll give you double <laughs> plugs, Rabs. Shameless plugs. promotion will yeah. get done right yeah, away. Go for it. Go for it. So I, I have a group of podcasts I call the Way to Wow shows. Um, and, and I have a channel on YouTube as well. I do a show on Mondays called Trust and Estates Weekly, which is just what the topic sounds like trust and estates, probate, those kind of issues. It's both for people who need who are needing to deal with that issue, but also for professionals who want to work in that area as a way to enhance their businesses. On Tuesdays, I do a show called Business Lessons from the Military. I have guests, typically military guests, who translate things they've learned from the military into the civilian business world or even the nonprofit and academic world. We also look at different military doctrine and those sort of things like right right now i'm doing a series translating marine corps warfighting doctrine into business and and it's it's quite interesting how how the two translate quite well you know the marine corps is it, it, it's it's a fantastic group i'll, I'll say that as a navy hmm. guy it's a fantastic group <laughs> I, I i have to agree with you i have to agree with you I, I i'm mildly biased mildly biased shameless plug for you as well Semper and five, on thank wednesdays you. i do what what was my original show which is called people making money that's where you were a guest and on that show i interview people who have interesting ways of of making a living that they enjoy and we we go through kind of their professional arc and distill lessons that other people can use uh, to enhance their own professional lives. And then we also talk about finances, wealth building, those those topics. Uh, for example, yesterday I had a woman on who's been a lawyer for 35 years, and her whole practice is geared toward what she calls money and marriage. Um, not the adversarial side of it, though. Her practice is about how to keep a couple together despite the, the financial challenges and those kind of things. So, and she's been quite successful at that over the years. So, okay. you know, we, we 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 cover a pretty broad range of subjects on that one. Awesome. Yeah. So, Kevin Bemmel, busy guy on YouTube and LinkedIn as well. So, thanks for being here and thanks for sharing about your podcast. So, why don't you give us just a quick background on your military career? Okay, yeah. So the military for me was actually a, a second career. I jokingly call it Kevin 2.0. Um, I had been in the commercial real estate business here in LA for about 20 years um, before I joined the military. It really was an outgrowth of being in Washington, D.C. on September 11th. So I was in the Capitol building when the Pentagon got hit. Wow. And the Capitol Police evacuated us from the rotunda. And as we were walking down the steps, we looked off to the right and we saw black smoke rising. That was 
That was the Pentagon, basically. Wow. And and at that time, I told the people I was in D.C. with that uh, that was Pearl Harbor to me, and I wanted to get into that fight. Several years later, um, I was over 40 years old at the time, and I, I went to go see a recruiter, <laughs> petty officer second class, you know. Right. <laughs> I, I show up at his door. Hey, I want to join the Navy. And yeah, here comes like, Dad. Here comes Dad. Yeah, right? exactly. He's like sir you know giving me the you know um and the, the the long and the short of it was i was too old i was beyond the maximum age to to be an officer um and someone at the time told me that the navy was desperately looking for jewish chaplains and to make a long story short um i went and got uh, ordination as a rabbi <laughs> and and to join the navy really people say well, well you know wow you're a rabbi blah 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 you know where's your congregation i'm like no i became a rabbi because that's the only way i can get in the navy awesome. <laughs> so they gave me an age waiver to get in went to um office what they called at the time officer indoctrination school and, and chaplain school and then you know, the end of uh, September 2006, I'm on an airplane to Okinawa, Japan. <laughs> so awesome. I spent my first uh, over three years with the Marine Corps. I, I mean, I, I sort of come from a Navy family. My dad was a Navy officer back in uh, the 50s, and he was a reservist on through into the early 70s. And and like most Navy guys of his time, that there was kind of a love-hate relationship between the Navy and the Marine Corps. So my dad used to tell me about how if, if you know, if he'd be in a bar with his Navy buddies drinking and the Marines walked in, they'd fight the Marines. But then if the Army walked in, the Navy and the Marine Corps would get together and beat the heck out of the Army guys, right? So that was kind of the spirit of things that I grew up in. But he had the highest respect for the Marine Corps, you know, kind of all, all kidding aside. He used to tell me stories about the Marine Corps gunnery sergeants that trained him when he went through NROTC and that kind of stuff. And so I, I thought it was a really, it was great that I had the opportunity to be with the Marine Corps. My first tour it was a fantastic tour. I got to do so much um, there and had such a great opportunity to work with so many really amazing people, one of whom became, you know, a, a major general, you know, so it shows you, you know, the, the quality of the people that I just happened to be fortunate enough to meet. Nice, nice. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and your journey is an interesting one. So how many years were you active duty? So I was six years active duty after um, Okinawa. I did uh, a little over two and a half years with a, a carrier air wing. Um, I did the infamous Tomodachi deployment. So if the lights go out and I'm still glowing, they have assured me I did not get irradiated by Fukushima. Okay. I don't we'll know. See. I, yeah, we'll yeah. see, right? And pretty bright to me. pretty bright uh, to me. Yeah, 2012 decided that um, it was time to go back to civilian life. Um, I, I did join the reserves, and over uh, between 2012 and 2020, 20, and 2020, basically, I, I, I went on active duty several more times as a reservist, which is pretty pretty typical for the reserves these days. But but then at that point, also reestablished a civilian career. Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. So let's jump into where you are today. And I will say, since you and I've chatted, it's good to see you have embraced your past as a part of your life, but it's not your life now. You've definitely moved forward. And so a lot of times when I'm chatting with veterans, a lot of them are, are stuck. Like, how do I, they want to move forward, but they're still living in the past. So what insight would you have if you're a, a, for a veteran entrepreneur who's listening, who's still kind of is living in that past. They are that person and they haven't fully moved forward yet to the next step in entrepreneurship. 
Yeah, I mean, that, and that's a great question. So I'm going to use myself as an example. Go for it. I thought having been 20 years in civilian life prior to joining the Navy, and then, you know, six years active duty, that coming back to civilian life was going to be like, bang, you know, transition, no problem. And, and it, it honestly did not work out that way. What I found is the military gives us, us, I mean, we, you know, who serve in the military, such a sense of identity. I don't think we realize just how big the loss is when we leave it. So I was having a conversation with a, a fairly long time uh, friend of mine yesterday who is getting um, med boarded out of the army. I mean, he's crushed. He loves right. what he does. Right. He's not ready to leave, but the reality is his body isn't letting him stay. And we're talking and I'm listening to him. And I said, you know, hey, my friend, you got to mourn what you're losing here. Because he's already talking, oh, I'm going to move on. I'm going to do this. I mean, I, I mean, that's good. I'm glad you're looking forward. But you you got to come to terms with what it is you're losing because you are losing something. There's something that, in essence, is dying. And if we ignore that down the road, it's going to ambush us. So we've got to let go of we've got to go well not so much let go we've got to go through the process of coming to terms with what's changing in our life and that is a grieving process i mean for for people who hated the military probably not but most people didn't hate it but even if you hate it it's all change right it's going through change it it is and so we we have to come to terms with that change and i i was surprised like i said with all the experience i had in civilian life and, and 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 how sure I was about my ability to transition and all of that, still the Navy had become such an embedded part of my identity that I found it very hard to give it up. And so I, I had to figure out, okay, what am I going to be? You know, I joked around Kevin 2.0 when I joined the Navy. What am I going to be Kevin 3.0? I had to create a, a hybrid identity of, Kevin Navy guy or Kevin Navy chaplain or whatever, and Kevin civilian businessman. And that's that's a weird combination. Right? Most of us don't have, and most of us are going to end up being some weird combination that doesn't exist a whole lot. Having said that, since it doesn't exist a whole lot, it's probably going to be a pretty powerful force in the civilian world assuming we can integrate it together in a way that civilians can relate to and we don't reject. Does that make sense? hundred percent. I'll summarize in my own words with what, what you just said. And I've actually spoken about this on the podcast before. So if you're a veteran entrepreneur and yes, you were a Marine, you were a soldier, you were a sailor, you were a space force person. Now you're whoever you are now, your identity on a scale of one to 10 is always a 10. The role you're playing, that mm -hmm. changes depending on your experience and your confidence in that role. So right. I'm a horrible golfer. <laughs> so identity, I'm a, I'm a great, I'm, I'm a 10. Your identity always has to be a 10. Right. But my role as a golfer is a negative two, right? I was a, a good caddy, not a good golfer. So that right. role can be whatever you're trying to play. Could be a father, could be a husband, mm -hmm. could be a, a salesperson, could be a service person, could, whatever that is. 
if you don't have that skill set, your role score is going to be very low. And so I I went through some training and I'll give full credit to Sandler, Sandler sales training, where they taught you that because so many new sales reps are horrible at sales, myself included, because I built my business the first time 100% referral based. And I realized I had to go sell. I had no idea how to sell anything. I was a horrible salesperson. And so I realized if you're in sales and you're trying to grow a business and grow revenue and find customers and find clients, if you don't have that skill set, you're trying to do it and you're failing, you can make it personal, mm-hmm. but it's not. Your identity is still a 10. It's your role. You are not good at that role. That's all it is. And so right. once you acknowledge that, that role you're not good at, you either invest in yourself to increase your expertise in that skill set, or you find someone else who already has a high score in that role and you use them and have that partnership there. So I, I like how you position it. We're coming to the same place, but I, I've, through my training, I know, recognize it. Yeah. For every veteran entrepreneur, we're always a 10, but mm-hmm. your role changes depending on what you're trying to do. So in, in the in the book that I wrote about that, that helps um, service members transition to civilian life, particularly professionally, what I start out with first is how do we, how, how does someone create this, I don't want to call it a new identity because it's not new. I call it a hybrid identity, an integrated identity. And in fact, like, so you can't, you can't see the details of it here, but if you were to look right here, you would see, this is who I am, this sentence right here. And it's funny enough, like it says right here, uh, father, well, it's in French. So I'll translate it for you. A, a, a pillar of a, a pillar of my family, right? Someone who takes care of his children. Someone who, if I were married, you know, takes care of his wife and helps her. Someone who, you, you know, what I'm saying, uh, has a relationship with his nephew, with his sisters, etc. Right. So that's that's a part of my identity. Um, and and candidly, I you know I do that part you know, well, sometimes and not so well other times, right? I mean, that's You're the a man. You're of, a man. Of, of it, right? Uh, right. I'm a human being. So this, this statement is as much an aspiration as it is a reality. And that's okay. I'll never meet this, this entire statement, but it will always be something I can strive for. Guiding light. Guiding light. I like that. So with that, let's continue. So you've had the transition and and I think, again, if you are a veteran and you're getting out and you're in this phase or you've gotten out, letting go of the past and full embracing who you are today and building those skill sets, recognizing you may have weaknesses and then just, okay, you're not a bad person. If you're not good at something, you just don't have the experience, you don't have the skill. Right. So figure that out and go into it. And in business, that's huge, right? So let's shift to now. You have a couple different businesses you're going. Let's talk about... Your newest, well, I think your newest one is your professional fiduciary career. Is that your newest right. one? That why, is. Don't you, uh-huh. why don't you talk about what that is? And then I'd love to talk about how you came to the mindset to go in that path, if that's okay. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. So, well, actually, hold on. Sorry. I'm going to cut you off. You wrote yeah. a book. I'm a jerk. Tell me the name of your book. Oh, okay. I'm a complete uh, jerk. The name of the book is The Eight Deadly Sins of Job Hunting. And it's it, a veterans edition, right? And you may say, wait, I thought there were seven deadly sins. There is, There are indeed only seven deadly sins, at least in, as far as I know in Christianity. But see, in the military, we have to excel. So we come up with eight. <laughs> and, <laughs> I love that. I and the basis that. of the book is, so I, I, when, when I first um, went off active duty, I spent a couple of years coaching military people making their transition. And I found that there was a pattern 
of of things that that veterans who were not successful were doing and they basically broke down into eight things um and one of them is is what we were just talking about not developing that new that that hybrid identity okay um, and I, I i can no longer rattle them off the top of my head but but if you if you're interested we can we can talk about that set at some point ah, um, tell so, us the name of the book one more time yes yeah, so the name of the book plug. is the, the eight deadly sins of job hunting um, it, I, I offer it as a, uh, a PDF to any military person or military spouse who would like it. What it does is it lays out a five-step process, task by task, starting with, okay, I'm going to get out of the military and leading through the whole process of, of what you need to do to set yourself up for professional success in the civilian world. Awesome. So we'll get your contact information at the sure. end of the show. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're curious or just transitioning veteran and you'd like to get that piece from Kevin, please just keep listening. Hopefully yeah. you're listening because we have more nuggets here, but we'll get that to you at the end of the episode. Awesome. So talk about what you're doing now as a professional fiduciary. Right. What is a fiduciary and what makes you professional? Here in, in, in California, this is a relatively new licensed profession. So um, a fiduciary is someone who's acting on another person's behalf in a way where they have to put that person's best interests above their own. So, for example, if a, a, a real estate agent, if they're representing someone in the sale of their house, they're acting in what's called a, a fiduciary capacity. So, for example, they could look at the house and say, hey, you know what? I bet I could talk these people into selling me the house for less money than it's really worth because they really believe in me. Okay, That would be a breach of fiduciary duty because the agent is profiting off of his client's trust. Okay, So when you have this fiduciary obligation, it means that you are, you are acting out of your client's almost like sacred best interest. So where this becomes, um, I don't want to say more difficult, but where problems often have ar arisen is when people are acting on behalf of um, elderly people or um, people who are grieving because a loved one has died, something like that. California and other states, although not all 50 at this point, saw that they were having a lot of difficulties with things like elder abuse, with even children who couldn't take care of themselves and needed someone appointed to look after them, a trustee or something like that, a guardian, a conservator. And so they created a licensed profession so that anyone who's doing this for more than one individual in the state of California has to be licensed. And then there's a self-regulating body that really kind of oversees how we behave. But, but there are um uh mandatory disclosures for example about fees there is mandatory training we have to take and all of it is is designed to try and prevent the kind of abuse that's gone on in the past where let's say you know a, a woman dies she's you know 90 years old um and and like many wo women of that age she may have never handled business things and along comes some sharp individual who said, oh, I'll take care of it for you, you know, lady, kind of thing, and steals her blind. And you say, oh, come on, that can't possibly happen. Believe me, it, it, it happens far more than we, we want to think. 
And it's not bad just from the standpoint of stealing. But now this woman, this elderly woman has been left, you know, destitute. What is what is she to do? So in my practice, um, I work primarily in trusts and estates, um, which is one of the reasons why I, I have the, the show dedicated to trusts and estates, educating people on how to deal with those matters. So, for example, if someone has uh, perhaps a special needs trust, which is a trust set up to, to take care of uh, perhaps someone, maybe someone has a child who has Down syndrome or is, is, is autistic and, and, you know, low functioning. So they may set up a special needs trust for them to make sure that the resources are always there for their child to be taken care of, but they need someone who can fulfill that role of trustee to make sure that even if they're, they, the parents are no longer there, there will be someone trustworthy there to take care of their child. So they would look for a professional fiduciary to be in that role. So while they may be the initial trustee, I might be the successor trustee. And then God forbid something happened to them, I would step in and see to it that their child was properly taken care of. I might also be, you know, my, there might be an estate that needs to be settled. And the person appointed as the executor really doesn't have the knowledge and or the time to do it. So then I'll step into the role of what's called the administrator and I'll see to it that that estate is settled, you know, whatever that could take. It, it, there may have to be a probate. It may be settled outside of probate. It just, you know, that that becomes a, a whole, you know, large subject. And we can talk about that on Mondays at, you know, 10 a.m. We can talk about that. So that's that's actually my world as a financial advisor, and I'm also a fiduciary. But this is for our listeners. There's different types of fiduciaries out there. So I'm going to take my you know, MC hat off for a second. I'm going to throw my professional hat on for a second. So um, my firm that I own is Strategic Wealth Endeavor. We do wealth management. And it's meant to be a plug. This is meant to just explain there's differences out Absolutely. there. But we do wealth management. Uh, and business consulting for veteran entrepreneurs. So part of that, most companies have retirement plans. And mm -hmm. so a typical one for a U.S. corporation is a 401k plan if you have a couple uh, a couple employees. Right. And so I can be hired as a fiduciary for the 401k plan. So the same thing, I have to make sure that not only myself am acting in the best interest of the employees because it's their money, but that right. the company is doing things that's, that's in the employee's best interest. So if you're a fiduciary and you have clients, you have to make sure that all the players are playing the, the game the right way. You can't do anything that that benefits you personally more than the beneficiaries of, of these assets, these monies. And so corporations are sometimes what used to be this example in my world. You know, hey, if you move your bank account over here, we'll give you a discount there. And that's a prohibited transaction for the corporation because the corporation's doing it for the corporation's best interest, not necessarily for the employee's best interest. Now, if you can show that the employees somehow get a benefit of that or additional benefit, and then you get a tertiary benefit as, as the corporation, but the main benefit for that of your, mm -hmm. your employees, that's good. So there's different types of fiduciaries out there. And I, so I like that we're having this conversation on uh, our world. There's a 321 investment fiduciary. Then there's a 316 and a 338 and all these different ones for investments. But for you as a professional fiduciary for clarification, it would be more your, your, your fiduciary services. You're engaged when there's a, a trust involved normally. Is that when you're engaged or typically it'll be when there's a trust or there's an estate of some kind where, where there's been a death and estate needs to be settled. Um, or where there, there is a probate 
and and someone needs to oversee that probate. Sometimes the, the probate court will bring in a probate referee to do that, but the, the family may decide that they want to bring someone in, a professional in, they know the person's background, and so then I can sit in that chair as well. Okay. Um, the interesting thing is, and, and in line with what you were saying about your business is, I will typically work with someone like you because I'm not going to get into making decisions about, um, you know, what, what securities a particular trust holds. I'm, I'm looking at the bigger picture and then I'm bringing in, I'll bring in, you know, a wealth manager like you to handle that. I'll bring in a real estate professional to handle real estate. Um, if there's some, if there's some real estate transactions that have to take place. So in in a way, I sit in you know, almost like in the owner's chair, the quarterback, right? Exactly. And then I I look for specialists, if you will, to make sure that those things are handled in in the proper fashion. I love it, and that's why you and I connected, and that's why I enjoyed chatting with you because we're completely different, but we're similar at the same time. We're doing similar things. We have similar ideologies. I'm really like religious agnostic. Your rabbi doesn't matter. You're good people, good values. That's that. Right. That is what it is. Yes. So thank you for clarifying. Number one. Number two. How the heck did you decide to do that? What was your mindset, rabbi? Well, I can now I can kind of see it though, actually, a little bit because you're caring for others and and help helping everyone have a good mindset. It's kind of a natural transition. You're almost like well, a father figure for that family, right? How did you? Yeah. So that part move? of it is the work I did in, in real estate before joining the Navy. Um, I dealt with quite a number of of uh, estate matters um, and probate matters during that time, <clears throat> and I worked with um, a, a number of estate planning attorneys. Among the different things that I did for those twenty years. That was some of the most challenging, but also the most satisfactory, um, satisfactory, I guess. Okay. Satisfying, satisfying. Yeah. But I will say it was also sometimes among the most frustrating, right? I mean, it's, it's so egregious when heirs to an estate are fighting over who's going to get what and their relative is still alive. <laughs> you know, it's just like. <laughs> what are we talking about and here? Your family's you know? brutal. Family's brutal. Yeah, we all know that. Um, so I enjoyed that work. And then after I got off active duty for the for the final time in 2018, um, someone who um, was close to me, her husband had, uh, her husband died right around the same time I got out of the Navy or got off active duty anyway. And, and she is, she was the proverbial, I don't think she was actually 90. I think she was like 89 and a half. Right. And her, her husband was 90 um, and left her alone. Um, she didn't have any relatives close by. I was at the funeral for her husband and um, I had known her for a long time, but hadn't, you know, gotten close to her before right. that. And in, and in just I was just there to help her through this difficult time, really. Um, and, but, and we started talking and um, through that, she turned to her one relative who was still around and said, you know, I, I want Kevin to handle these things. I mean, she knew that I had been in business uh, before the Navy, but I think she felt like, you know, here's, here's this, here's this man who's, I don't know, is, is trying to help me. And, and for, for no reason other than he just wants to help me. Good and so I being. think she felt she could trust me. So I spent three years handling her business affairs a year while she was still alive. And then sadly, 
Um, she she passed away almost exactly a year after her husband. And so then I had to settle the the estate and the trust the second time for her heirs. And I enjoyed that work immensely. Um, I had forgotten how much I had enjoyed doing that kind of thing. Um, and again, some of the things were crazy making. Um, some of these financial institutions, you just feel like you want to, you know, beat them with a stick, <laughs> um, especially when they say they're going to do something and they don't. And then time elapses and now they're no longer able to do it. And it becomes a whole thing. Yes. Um, so in the course of doing that, um, I was talking to a very close friend of mine um, and I was telling him how much I was enjoying it and this and that. And he, he said, and he happens to be one of the top um, probate real estate people here in Los Angeles. So he said, he said, well, why don't you become a professional fiduciary? And I'm like, a professional what? Yeah, I've never right. heard of it. And he, he said, he said, well, there's this thing. And, he, you know, he told me about it. He he sent me a clip uh, or he he does a show on probate matters where he had introduced uh, interviewed a woman who was a professional fiduciary. So I looked into it and I thought, hey, you know what? This really makes a lot of sense. That was kind of the beginning of it. And and, okay. and, and there's a corollary to that. I, I don't know about you, but even when my closest friends give me advice, my inclination is to sort of pat them on the head. <laughs> oh, thank you for your input get the heck out of here come on I, what do you think i don't know my own life um and and one of the things i've worked hard to do the last several years especially is when someone who knows me well offers me some advice to to really hear it that doesn't mean i have to agree with it it doesn't mean i have to do it but i should at least listen to it really listen to it give it important consideration because frankly when my friend first told me that it was kind of like oh, yeah, yeah 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 you know talk to the hand or whatever and and that would have been incredibly foolish for me to do that and, and fortunately we had a strong enough relationship that when he said that i i was able to pretty quickly fight off that inclination and 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 you know talk to him about it and see what it was really all about well i think what you just brought up there and thank you for sharing humbly that lesson almost a lesson on failure there is is the ability to when when someone and I'm the same way it's having humility and being the right mindset to be willing to accept advice because the worst kind of advice if you ask me is unsolicited advice i hate and you just said it right yeah i'm going to tell you something and someone tar- and you're just tune them out cuz you're not in a place so i've humbly learned cuz i i know i have clients coming to me all the time i already know the answer like the second, because I've been doing this 20 plus years, I already know what's best for them. However, if they're not in the right mindset mm-hmm. or they're in a space where they're looking for advice or guidance or feel they have a pain or something they need to solve for, then you're talking at them versus with them. Mm-hmm. And they're not listening to understand. There's no empathy there. And so what you just described, you have to mentally get yourself in a, in a state where you realize, hey, there could be an opportunity. Let me listen. And then you you have to shift on. And then I've learned before just giving advice, asking, hey, are you looking for, are you wanting to t- discuss this? And if someone is not receptive to advice, the worst kind of advice is giving them any advice at all. You just mm-hmm. turn them out and tune out, which is what you just yeah. said. Absolutely. So it's, it's the... And my, my challenge, I'll, a weakness I have, I'm a verbal thinker. Mm-hmm. And I love to help. And so I, I'm a bulldozer and I 
was a bulldozer until I learned after failing so many times of running people over with things they could do to help themselves when they didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Why is that not working? Because they're not in the right mindset because I failed to help them be or see if, if they even had a need to be in that mindset to hear advice to help them in the first place. So that's a growing part of my career I've gone through and I've probably hurt myself. I'm not probably, I've hurt myself in my career over the years by being that way. And, and I inherited the traits from my family, my gene pool being Scotch Irish and a little headstrong there, but you get through it. Right. So I think a lesson for the veteran entrepreneur here or any entrepreneur to be a veteran is we'll talk about advice. If you have advice or you think you can help someone rather than just give them advice Make sure you have a conversation where that person is receptive and actually asks you for that information first. So then if someone's open to it, it's not right or wrong, then you on the receiving end, mm-hmm. it's about empathy. Do I understand? You have to agree with their what they're saying, but do you understand how they feel or what they're trying to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, what, that's what just triggered my, in my mind as we're having this conversation. What are your thoughts on that? Two things come to mind, and, and one is, how many times I've had to relearn this lesson. So I'm going to take you all the way back. I am a, I think a sophomore or maybe a freshman in college. Okay. I'm in downtown LA, didn't have a lot of money. So I would always have to park my car very far away from the gym. So I didn't have to pay for parking. Right. And I'm walking to the gym this day and this homeless guy sees me and he comes up to me and I'm thinking he's going to ask for money, which I had none of. But I, especially back then, I mean, I, I think it's still true now. I'll, I'll pretty much talk to anybody as long as they're not being, you know, overly aggressive and, and rude and all that. So he comes up to me and I was thinking, OK, here it comes. They ask for the money. He's like, he says, he says, hi, how are you? I'm like, uh, fine. How are you? He says, I'm good. He says, uh, what do you do? <laughs> you know? I'm like. Um, I'm an architecture student at, uh, USC. And he goes, he goes, an architecture student. He says, why don't architects do projects like this? And he rattles off, I think, a half a dozen, honestly, very creative ideas on, on how to make buildings happen. One of them in particular was like, okay, this guy is either, he really knows about this or he's like creepy, insightful, right? And so at the time I had a, he was talking about a, the guy was talking about a project up in San Francisco and I had a friend up there and I called him up and I said, have you heard about a church being burned down on lower market in the last few months? And his response was, no, no, no. Wait a minute. Yeah, I have. And and I said, can you give me any information on it? So he, he, found a newspaper article and called me back and told me about it. And he gave me the pastor's name and I looked him up and I called the guy up and I said, you're going to think this is crazy. But I was talking to a homeless guy in downtown LA and he told me about what happened at your church and that you need to rebuild, but you can't afford to, but you're sitting on a valuable piece of property. And he has an idea about how you can develop the overall property in a way that your church will get built for free. He says, that's amazing. We've been looking for someone to help us with this. And we ended up, I ended up getting another friend of mine that I was going to architecture school with involved. We drove up to San Francisco and we helped them do some of their initial planning and we actually got paid for it. Right. So from that very early time, so because I was willing to listen to 
I mean, a homeless guy. That's I, I don't mean that derogatorily, but he he was not. It wasn't like he was dressed in a suit, and you know what I'm saying. He's just a guy on the street. We don't know where good ideas are going to come from. And I, I, I you mentioned you're an agnostic, so you know, uh, if you don't mind, I'm go you know, for it. But from a God-centered standpoint, we don't know who God's messengers are. Okay, and and we make a big mistake in assuming they either look like us or act like. I mean, we never know where the ideas are going to come from. Here it is, you know, decades later, and I had to relearn that lesson. So, so I think that's that's one part of it. The other is that. So my daughter is a is is a teenager, and for the last several years, I've been saying to her, you know, sweetie. Sooner than I'd like, your life is going to be your own to handle. And the worst thing I can do is cripple you by making you think that I have all the answers. We need to transition to where I'm here to help you in whatever way you need, whenever you need. However, I've got to start asking you whether you want my advice before I give it, because it's up to you to learn what kind of life do you want to live? I said, if you want to be unhappy, try and figure out the life I want for you and then try and live that life. And you will be unhappy. <laughs> I guarantee you, having done that myself, I I'm sure that's the case. I said, the key is, and I said, I can imagine this is frightening at, you know, as a teenager is starting to think about what what life do you want? I said, just know that I'm not going to be disappointed by the decisions you make. It's not my business to be disappointed or elated per se. My job is to help you figure out the life that you want and to help you get it in the way that you want help to be given to you. And, and I'd like to say, you know, and, and ever after, I have never transgressed that, you know, <laughs> yeah, philosophy. Right, but right. You know, I could, my daughter's not here right now, but I could put her on and she'll, she'll and she says, yeah, you know, my dad talks a good game, you know. Um, but I think that if we can adopt that philosophy in all of our relationships, maybe with the exception of our young children, <laughs> who probably need more direct guidance than, you know, than than freedom. But then in our, our, you know, adult relationships, right? I think that would that would make that would make them go much more smoothly. And also there would be a much greater interchange of ideas, of concerns, of trust, of openness, all the things that we need to be successful in both business and in our personal lives. Because these days, business and personal lives, I think, are much more integrated than ever before. No, 100%. And as you're sharing that, and I want to thank you for what you're sharing. I'm just doing self-reflection, you know, myself. My son's now six, and we have some conversations sometimes. And they're like, you know, Daddy, this and that. And I'm like, Daddy's not always going to be here. So appreciate this time. Remember this time. Daddy's trying to be here for you. And this is, you know, so I, and he's only six, and I'm trying to... Maybe, maybe a little too soon. You know, my, my parents was a different time. You know, my father was like, whatever you're the second I was old enough to run, run the farm. He was like, I'm going skiing for a week. I'm going here. I'm going there. I was just labor. I was just free labor. I like, I give you a place to live and food and you will do this. And okay. So that, that's a my, whole nother. My, my father's attitude was children are a renewable resource. <laughs> 
I think I said, I'm, I'm joking. He never told no, me. Your, your dad and my dad would get along just fine, right? Yeah, you know, right. so it was a different time. <laughs> a question, like, so you just made me think of a story of my father. I'll, I'll digress for one second here, which is kind of the the podcast. If you're a veteran entrepreneur, you're listening. We all have dynamics with our family, right? We're kind of shifting there and being open to advice. But to the, your point, I remember my father told me a story. He was out at McDonald's for whatever, and never goes to McDonald's. Went to McDonald's. There was a woman there, and her kids were noisy and doing whatever they do and my dad kept staring at her and she's like what don't you have any kids and my dad's like none that lived <laughs> that's my dad right so so with that you know i will say in entrepreneurship though in life it's having grit right and yeah. and when the world throws you lemons you feel the lemons hurt when they hit you but then you right. pick them up you make your lemonade right, right? you make your lemonade and that and that's the main thing so we talked about several different things here today we could i think we should have several more episodes we're talking about different topics it just goes in so many different ways though but if you're a veteran entrepreneur and you're listening you know some of the takeaways today is that there is no set path right but there's opportunities Mm -hmm. and so your journey i like you sharing how your journey you were doing here then this then that and just because who you are as a human being as a person whether ordained or not you are still the person you are, the man you are right, led you to this opportunity and you saw it and you saw it as an opportunity and you took a chance and you learned maybe you don't have that skill set in that one area, but you can grow it. And I'm sure you failed. We've all failed, especially as fathers, we've all failed and husband's a whole nother thing. And thank God I've never been married. And that's a whole nother conversation for what I've seen and heard out there. Right. So we won't talk right. about that, um, <laughs> but that's life. Right. And, right. and, and I actually, I'll share something. Yeah, I, I my when I turned forty, life changed. Uh, the 30s were super fun and easy going, and then 40 just things changed. And it was like bam, 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 get up and bam. No, you try and get up and you're like, nope, you're not getting up. They're like, whack, whack. Like, I'm really trying to get up. No, you're not. And and so even a couple months ago, I said, like, whoa, everything's really good right now. Like this, like everything's business is good, personal relationship is good, family's good, like something's gonna happen. Something's gonna and something did. Like it was like, what? It's like this is it's not like life just isn't that way. Right. But what do you do? We've been through so much. We have the grit now and the wisdom. When something else happens, you're like, oh, it's just the next thing I have to get through. Right. Right. And so in business, you're a veteran entrepreneur and you're listening. One of the takeaways from this episode, I believe, and I'm gonna ask you for your your takeaways from this in a second, Kevin, is that you think you got a path, that path changes. The Marine Corps called separate gumby. And mm-hmm. You're going to get hit with some rounds. Okay. Your identity is your identity. You're always a 10. That role could be a two. Improve, change, shift, grow that role, whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Always be moving forward. Never move backwards. Things change. Take a second to reflect on it. All right. Then that's the past of the past. Tomorrow's another day. Let's rock and roll and move forward. That's kind of what I'm taking from today, which was like 15 things at once. Sorry. That's how my right. mind works. But right. what did you take out from uh, from this conversation today, Kevin? So I, I think a couple of things, and, and one is, um, and this, this is going to echo a little bit um, of, of what you just said. So we need to have a plan. We need to have a plan for how we're going to transition, how we're going to start our business. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm working with a young woman right now who's the very, very close friend of a, a, a friend of mine who's a Marine, you know, and she's starting her first business and, and I'm, you know, coaching her, get yourself a plan. And and knowing that, you know, the philosophy of the famous German, I believe German, uh, I think it was a field marshal, von Moltke, right? No plan survives first contact with the enemy. But you still need to have a plan because embedded in that plan is your objectives, 
It's your perception of how you're going to get there. And you it's more it's easier to deviate from a plan than it is to make everything up every minute of the day as you're going. Right. So um, so I think that's that's one one important takeaway. I think the second important takeaway is relationships are pretty much everything in our lives. I don't even know that we learn that in the military. It happens in the military. I mean, most of of us, it's part of it. It's part of it, right? Most of us are not combat veterans. So we're not literally reliant on the guy, you know, next to us to keep us from getting killed. Having said that, we are we were all reliant on each other for something whether it was our food whether it was you know our vehicles being able to work whether it was our ship not sinking or at least having you know having a you know a, a power plant to propel it we were all dependent on each other and we we knew that instinctively we come out into civilian life and it feels different this is a, one of the uh, eight deadly sins of job hunting that that i remembered while we were talking A lot of veterans think that when civilians say they want to help us, they're not being sincere. And it's there. It is true. There are a handful of them that they're just saying it because it's a good thing to say at a cocktail party or whatever. There's always people like that. What I and and, and for a while I, I started, I started to think, I think maybe it's more than that. But this is what I've learned. Our fellow citizens desperately want to help us. We are absolutely blessed to live in a time when our service is so honored, perhaps more honored than it maybe should be in some ways. The problem is, is they just don't know how. They want to help, but they don't know how. They don't know not to go up to a service member and say, so did you ever kill anybody in combat? Whack. Yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? Right. They, they don't know. They're curious about it. A lot of them, I, I think, and, and this, I don't mean to be disparaging to anybody. I do think part of the reason why civilians um, are, are so um, grateful for what we do is they have a sense that they couldn't do it, which I think is wrong. I think they could do it if they wanted to, but that they didn't do it and they feel, I don't know, maybe a little bit of guilt. I'm not exactly sure what it is. But they want to help us. But we've got to help them help us. We've got to be. We've got to initiate that relationship. If we open up to it, they will return in spades if they possibly can. But but we're probably going to have to make the first move. So I, I think that's another thing that I took out of our discussion is is like I said the centrality of relationships and especially this sort of military civilian interplay that that so many uh veteran entrepreneurs get stuck on we've got to have the the gumption to make the first move and we've got to have the grit to to build that relationship and 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 a lot of times it is the grit that's going to keep the relationship going because sometimes it's going to get off and and we've got to be the ones so I mentioned this colleague of mine who's a Marine Corps guy. We 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 were working together on a, on a project, and every once in a while we do what I call we you know we're 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 men right. We we get up on our hind legs and growl at each other, you know, <laughs> you know, and then one of us has to go. Okay, let's stop being stupid. 
uh, because we have a relationship that's important to us. <laughs> let's, let's back off. I don't know where we got off off kilter, right? But it's 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 easy to do, especially when it's something that's we feel is really important. So having that kind of self awareness and that that um, desire to, as you were saying in your practice, really empathize with people, connect with them. That's what's going to make the difference, I think, in in getting where you want to go, whatever whatever your definition of success is. Your thing. So I'll summarize your three points there. So number one, I'll quote, you quoted a German general. I'll quote Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Boom. <laughs> Relationships are important and having empathy helps you build stronger relationships. Right. Right. So this has been a phenomenal episode, everyone. So if Kevin, if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to find you? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you can go to my website, bemel.com, B-E-M-E-L.com. You can contact me through my website. You can look for me on pretty much all the social media, LinkedIn, Facebook. I just started a Twitch channel. Um, so you can look for me, Kevin Bemel, or you can look for The Way to Wow Show. Um, and you can contact me through there. Another thing you can do, by the way, there's a, a there's a great resource for veterans called Veterati. Um, and I'm a mentor on Veterati, um, Veterati, as are lots of other people. And if you're looking for mentorship from another, from a fellow, you know, service member, go on Veterati. You can talk to as many people as you want to, and we'll we'll be happy to speak with you. Um, I've developed many great relationships with with people through through Veterati. I, I recommend it highly. Um, you can also, if if, if you want to, you know, schedule some time to speak with me. It's all pro bono, of course. So. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that Jewish. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as Jewish as you want, no one cares here, right? We all, we all bleed red, brother. So so, thanks so much. Um, but, but, you know, I'd be happy to, my, my I will, you know, a, 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 as a service to, to my, my shipmates, uh, you know, I, I will talk with people who, especially, uh, veterans who want to start businesses. I do not think there are enough veterans who are starting businesses given the, the kind of skills and experiences that we get in the military. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you about that. And, yeah. and if I can help, I will. Yeah. So with that, that's how we connected. You are in the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass group. So we have our Zoom meeting. So if you're a veteran entrepreneur, you want to join us, we get together once a month. I'm not sure if this is going to air, probably in July, early uh, early August. But we get together first Tuesday every month. So you want to reach out or have any interest in, in being in that group, we do encourage you to reach out, have a conversation with me. You can find me at SWE90.com, Strategic Wealth Endeavor, 90.com. I'm Brett Henderson. We have a 15-minute chat, kind of a gut check. And all I ask, if you're a veteran in business and you want to be a part of the group, actually, listen a couple episodes here. This is why we have the podcast to get this information out to help you go from A to B that much faster. And if you want to be part of the group, we ask you be, to be open to supporting other group members and being supported by members of the group. That's all I ask if you're going to be part of that. So that's strategic. My firm, Strategic Wealth Endeavors, so SW90. I'm Brett Henderson. Our group is the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass. And this has been a phenomenal episode of the Veteran Entrepreneur Masterclass podcast and now YouTube show with Kevin Bamble. Thanks so much, guys. And we'll see you all soon. Hurrah, Rabs. Rabs. <laughs>